Oh, Lord Jesus, use your servants' lips, your people's ears and hearts, that they may be wed, that the seed of your word might be planted and brought forth with a resurrection joy. Amen and amen. We have been through a summer and a fall that has brought all sorts of disharmony, anxiety, conflict. We've seen cars on fire. We've seen buildings on fire. We have seen, for the first time since the War of 1812, the Capitol breached. We might be tempted to think that we live in a time that is more anxious than times before ours. We have only to read history to find out that there are often anxious times. The scripture we just read actually takes place in a time that is fairly anxious. The Pharisees saw themselves as the conservatives. The Pharisees believed that they held the interpretation of the Bible in a way that other Jewish people did not. The Sadducees would have seen themselves as to the left of the Pharisees and often felt that the Pharisees were naive in their thinking. There were the Herodians, and the Herodians were somewhat practical. The reign of King Herod is good for us, and therefore we will do what we can to make sure that Herod is satisfied. Then there was the Essenes. There were the Essenes. The Essenes are the people who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls, those scrolls that were discovered when a shepherd boy lost a sheep. And I think it was a little bit lazy that he didn't go into the cave to find the sheep, but instead he started throwing things at the sheep. And he threw a rock and heard something shatter. And then he went into the cave. I don't think he found the sheep, actually. But he went into the cave and he found these jars that contained what we know as the Dead Sea Scrolls that have really enlightened biblical interpretation ever since. We don't know how many other groups there might have been like the Essenes. We know about them because of the shepherd boy with the stone. But there could have been dozens of others like that, and the Essenes said, everybody else is going to hell, and we're going to go and form our own community The time in which Jesus was baptized was an anxious time. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the Essenes, and who knows how many others competed for who really were the true Jewish people. And so today, into that context, we look at the baptism of Jesus. In that context, we recognize this, that God is at work. God is at work in 
the anxious time of Jesus. God is at work in the Middle Ages among people whose names we'll never know and whose faces we'll never see in this lifetime. God is at work in your life and in my life. He's at work when you get out of bed and find it hard to walk across the room because as my grandfather used to say, "Oh, Arthur is on your back. God is with you when you hold your first grandson or your first great-granddaughter. God is with you when you enjoy a cup of coffee or tea and look out at the snowflakes falling in your backyard. God is with you when you normally get up at a certain time and you've hit snooze twice and you still don't feel like for whatever reason you ought to get up. You just don't feel like facing another day. God is at work. Dear friends, God is at work. Now, as a Christian, when I say God... I mean God in three persons, the Trinity in unity, the unity in Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One in three, three in one, not dividing the substance, not lumping all of the persons together. And here at the very beginning, as we see, God working at the baptism of Jesus. We see all three persons of the Trinity. We see Jesus who comes down from the region of Galilee, which is way up in the north, and he comes down to the Judean countryside, the desert where John is baptizing. This is not a day trip. This is a trip that is life-changing. This is the beginning of Jesus' official ministry. This is when nothing will ever be the same following Jesus the baptism and the temptation of Jesus and then the calling of the disciples. This marks a beginning as the sun comes down from the northern part of Israel toward Jerusalem and the Judean hills. The sun presents himself. The Father speaks. The Father says, You are my Son, the Beloved with you. I am well pleased. And in addition to the Son and to the Father, when John baptizes Jesus suddenly, and the the verb that Mark uses is, is a wonderful verb, the heavens are torn open, they are ripped open, and the Holy Spirit as a dove descends upon Jesus. So here in these few verses... We find God at work. The entire Godhead of Father, Son, and Spirit working together to redeem the world. And the entire Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are working together to make you whole. And God will not rest until the one who began a good work among us has completed that good work. John is there announcing a baptism of repentance. The truth is that repentance readies us to receive what God has in store for us. 
The truth is that if you and I have unrepented sin in our lives, we will never grow like God intends for us to grow. The truth is that God has a will for your life and for my life and for our lives together that we can cooperate with or we can turn our backs on. Repentance is a saying to God. We have not done what we should have done. We have left undone what we should have done. We have gone our own way. We have not followed your will. We have forsaken your law. Repentance is a turning from a way that is not godly to the way of God for us. And this is what John is talking about. And in Mark's gospel, it's just very quickly very quickly brought to our attention. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Mark presents this succinctly. Sometimes people will say, well, I've never read the Bible before. Where should I begin? I say, begin with the book of Mark. Mark is 16 chapters. It's the story of the life and the death of Jesus. It's 16 chapters and And Mark can say in 52 words what it takes Matthew or Luke 126 to say. So the entire baptism of the repentance of sins for the repentance of sins is is given in this single verse in Mark's gospel. Luke goes a little further. And Luke tells us that the crowds, when they come for this baptism of John they ask what should we do that's a good question repent he says okay how do we do that they say and in reply John says to them whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none and whoever has food must do likewise And even the tax collectors came to be baptized. And they asked, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. And soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? Now you want to know one of the reasons why John and uh, and later Jesus got into trouble with the authorities. Here's, Here's part of the reason. The soldiers who were supposed to answer to the one who was next in the chain of command, here they are out in the Judean wilderness asking this man that is dressed strangely with this leather belt around him, what should we do? He's not in the chain of command. And don't think that those who are in charge don't notice. Soldiers asked him, and we, what should we do? And he said, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation. And be satisfied with your wages. Repentance readies us for the work of God in our lives. And when we are prepared to repent, God is prepared to unleash within us All that God intends to do in our lives. 
and it begins. It begins with repenting of our sins. It begins with recognizing where our actions have been wrong, where our attitudes have been wrong, with with recognizing that it's not just about me doing the right thing. It's about me doing the right thing for the right reasons. John's baptism is a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. One of the other things that this baptism of John teaches us is that ultimately it's, it's all about Jesus and his whole ministry doesn't stand on its own. It doesn't stand alone. The ministry of John the Baptist is one that points to someone else. He proclaims, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. Archaeologists have found actually a lot of ancient Egyptian sandals. And so if you want to do a Google search this afternoon, Egyptian sandals, archaeology, you can find all sorts of them. Most of them look just like the flip-flops of today. Just something between your big toe and your second toe, and you just sort of flop around. But there are more sophisticated sandals that wrap around the back, that sort of tie on the front. And John says the person that he is pointing to, the one that he is preparing the world for, he is not even worthy to bend down on the ground and undo the sandal of this man. I have baptized you with water, he says, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is seen to be the fulfillment of ancient prophecy. Jesus is seen to be the promised one of God, God's servant who will set things right in the world. And if Jesus is the one of prophecy that will set things right in the world, then John... This strange figure on the margins of society is the new Elijah. Now, Elijah is the prophet par excellence. He is this prophet that is uh, unequaled in some of Old Testament thought. And I just want to share with you how John is portrayed in this scene as the new Elijah. So here we have an In Mark, John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. I've gained a few pounds uh, over the last couple of years, but if I went on a diet of locusts and wild honey, I could probably lose a couple of those at least. Now, this is Mark's... um, portrayal of of John clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist there's this wonderful scene in 2nd Kings chapter 1 where King Ahaziah has fallen through his roof he's hurt himself badly so badly that he wants to know whether he's going to survive or not And so he gathers those around him, 
his advisors, and he sends them out, not to the prophets of Yahweh, Israel's God, but he sends them out to Beelzebul to see if he will recover. Well, this delegation hasn't gotten very far. They're going out to see Beelzebub to see if Ahaziah is going to recover when Elijah the prophet shows up. The delegation meets Elijah. Elijah says, is there not a prophet in Israel that the king has to send to somebody far away? to see whether he's going to be okay or not. They go back to the king and tell them, we met this strange man. Ahaziah says to them, what sort of man was he that came to meet you and told you these things? Listen to their description of Elijah. They answered him, a hairy man with a leather belt around his waist Ahaziah is not exactly a fan of Elijah. So you can hear the disgust in his voice as he says, it is Elijah the Tishbite. John is portrayed as the new Elijah with this mantle of hair, with this leather belt around his waist. The new Elijah, the new prophet that points the way to Jesus And Jesus is portrayed in this small passage from Mark as the servant from Isaiah. Now pay attention to the last verse of the passage we read. A voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. Now look at Isaiah 42 where Isaiah is talking about this messianic figure. And if you think the Trinity is just a New Testament thing, uh, think again. There are echoes of the Trinity. There are hints of the Trinity, even in the Old Testament, even in Isaiah 42. Look at the three persons in Isaiah 42. Here is my, there's an I, me, God the Father speaking. Here is my servant, There's a second person, the Messiah who will come, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit, yet a third person, upon him, the second person, and he will bring justice to the nations. John is the new Elijah. Jesus is the servant from Isaiah, and then there is baptism. The Bible and the church describe something that happens to us inwardly when we have faith and something that others can see from the outside. In the Gospel of Mark, it's an inward thing what Jesus experiences. He hears the voice from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. In Luke, there's still the you. There's 
God speaking directly to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in bodily form like a dove, and a voice, Luke says, came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved, with you I am well pleased. But Matthew points out that it's not just a father-son thing that's going on. Matthew reports a voice from heaven that says, This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. God's work reminds us who we are and also shows us that those around us can recognize who we are at well as well. We remember who we are, and at the same time, baptism declares our identity to the world. And so here, dear friends, is the challenge of this passage. Remember who Jesus is. He's the promised one of God. He is the eternal Son. He is the Savior of the world. Remember the Bible's call. Repent, for God's kingdom is near. And we are all in need of repentance. The great heresy of our day and every day is to portray ourselves as good and those who are on the other side of whatever from us as evil when Christianity teaches us that we all are in need of repentance. That line between good and evil passes through every one of us. That I might do the right thing for the wrong reason. That the motivations of my heart might not be right. That I know I should do something and I don't do it. Remember the call of the Bible. Repent, God's kingdom is near. And remember the gift of baptism. It declares to us who we are as members of the family of God. And it witnesses to the world that we follow Jesus. Baptism is one way of showing us and the world what John speaks of in 1 John 3, 1. See what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God.